Now I'm going to read uh, scripture. It's going to be up on the screen or on the bulletin, but I'm just reading from Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. So please read with me uh, and then pray with me, and we're going to hear uh, from Lockwood this morning. Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you that we are here because of your grace, because of your mercy. We are all broken and we all have sin and transgression. We thank you that you uh, make it available, uh, make your forgiveness available to us so that we can come before you and we can worship you as a community here. God, I pray that uh, we would be focused on you and what you have done for us uh, this morning. Uh, Be with Lockwood as he speaks, and please uh, humble our hearts to be willing to hear what you have prepared in his heart. Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Am I on? Here we go. Well, thanks. That makes me feel good, Brian. You did a good job faking it. I was probably faking it too, actually. That's the kind of the deal, how you know when you're going really hard. It's how, how much you can actually talk when you're doing. So it's like a contest to see who can talk the most. All right, here we go. Um, I feel like it's a proper pulpit. Goodness gracious. Uh, I wanted to start off with a quote. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Um, I'm going to say that one more time. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. The way that we think has consequences that work their way out in life. And it's important as we begin to think through things, as we deal with things in life, that we have some sort of framework. Uh, It's kind of like an engine. There's inputs, there's an engine that processes, and then there's outputs. So the framework that we develop in order to deal with things that happen in our life is vital. Um, We've been given a blueprint here to run things through, to, to put inputs into and to process and then to have outputs. And this morning we're going to dig a little deeper into kind of what the engine looks like and we're going to take a look at David's life um, and see how he dealt with some really challenging things. So whether we like it or not, uh, we all have a theological framework for developing doctrine. And what I mean by that is we all have a process for developing what we believe is right or wrong Um, Whether it's objective or subjective truth, we're dealing with it to try to process it, make sense of it, Um, evil or good. And this largely governs how we live and how we define our success and ultimately where we derive our fulfillment. Um, And it's, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes it's self-imposed, like it's an internal performance metric. We're we're, we're kind of measuring ourselves all the time and deriving at the end of the day how we feel based upon kind of our ability to have dealt with the, the situations that come and um, whether it was good or bad. And oftentimes we justify things. So um, so this morning, you know, it, the process is important. Framework is important. Um, and if we don't think through how we're doing it, the, the ramifications are tremendous. It's, it's a trajectory that our lives are on. So we're going to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, there's a... Um, uh, a famous musician by the name of John Coltrane. And uh, 
I got really into like liturgy and, and Puritan prayers recently because I need more framework in my life to help process things. Um, and I, I came across this guy, John Coltrane, who put out uh, an album called Love Supreme. And in 1957, he actually got kicked out of the band, uh, Miles Davis's band. And Miles Davis at that point was the greatest jazz musician. He got kicked out for, for alcoholism, for um, unprofessionalism, and he was addicted to heroin at the point. And he had been, he had an interaction with God early on in his life. However, um, he, he had kind of strayed away as so many jazz and blues musicians did at that point in their careers. They got on the, the ride of, of the heroin and playing night to night. And um, Miles Davis kicks him out of the band and he went home with his wife and he locked himself in, in his attic and he got on his knees and he didn't come out of that attic attic until he came up with this album called A Love Supreme. And it's fascinating. There's four major pieces to A Love Supreme. And I, I'm not sophisticated enough musically to really, pro- I, I've listened to the album a hundred times and I'm, get, I'm starting to begin to get some of the brilliance. But if you talk to any musician, they're like, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable what he was able to do. But the four major pieces of it are, the beginning is acknowledgement. Um, then there's the resolution. And these are actually the titles of the songs on the album. There's acknowledgement resolution, pursuance, and then psalm, which is worship. And I began to think of that, and I'm like, man, I'm reading through Psalm 51. It's like the same sections that I'm seeing in Psalm 51. There's an acknowledgement of where we are, of, of the reality of our depravity, of our sin. There's a resolution. There's, there's promises by God to justify who we are. There's a resolution. There's pursuance. There's a dying of self and God pursuing us because we can't do it alone, and then there's overflow of that understanding into worship. And so I began to, to juxtapose it with Psalm 51 and just think through it. It's fascinating. Um, so let's get in a little bit to Psalm 51. Uh, so Psalm 51, to give you a little bit of context, is, is a prayer that David prays, or a psalm that David kind of prays after um, his interaction with Nathan the prophet. And so basically, I don't know if you all know the story of Bathsheba, but um, David had sent his warriors, his, his army away to fight in a battle, and he was at home, and he was walking on the terrace one night and saw the beautiful Bathsheba bathing, invited her to come over, um, and slept with her, and then finds out that she is pregnant. So he then reaches out to Uriah the Hittite, who is her husband, and invites him to come back so that he would sleep with her, but being the loyal person that he was, he slept outside the gates of David's house or the city and would not go into his wife. And um, then David's like, what am I going to do now? So he puts him on the front lines where he, he gets murdered or he dies fighting in battle. So you have adultery and murder right there, and this is the man that is proclaimed to be a man after God's own heart. So how does that work out? So that's kind of the, 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 the context. I want to read in 2 Samuel uh, 12, 1 through 9, the confrontation that Nathan has with him in regards to this because he didn't realize, just so often as we don't realize, sin builds up in our lives and we don't confront it. We justify it. We all do it. I do it all the time. Um, but Nathan, the prophet, comes forward and meets him, and, and starting in 12, verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, 
there were two men, in a, and he's telling a parable here, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he, and he brought it up, and he grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Verse four, now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Imagine that. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And in verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to him, David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because... By this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The, ch the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So this is the, the, the preference to this psalm that, uh, that um, this prayer that David develops. And I'm just gonna read through it. I encourage you um, to think of like different words that might associate, or I want you to own this text as you read it, and I challenge you to go home and read this text. This is the framework that I'm talking about. This is the engine that will allow us to process things. It's a biblical framework, and it's a presentation, ultimately, of the gospel. And it's how we should work daily through dealing with um, what comes our way. So the first part, I call this the acknowledgement. Um, verse one, and I'm just gonna kind of read and talk through it. So um, first one. And this is a plead, have mercy on me, O God. It's interesting he starts off with the word mercy. When I hear the word mercy, I think of the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, there's a mercy seat. And on that mercy seat is where um, the blood is sprinkled on behalf of the sin that, the, the, that Israel has committed. And that's where God meets his people um, he meets them on the mercy seat. So that is exactly where David starts off, is God, meet me on your mercy seat. Have mercy on me, O God, of supreme power. And he appeals according to your steadfast love. It can't be according to anything else. It's nothing that I can do. It has to be your love, because your love is, is the only thing that is there. It's all I have left. According to your abundant mercy, your overflowing mercy. Blot, that's such a strong word. Eradicate my transgressions. He takes ownership there, my transgressions. Blot out my transgressions, my sin, my adultery. Lord, bring it before me so that I can blot it out because I cannot stand in your presence. You require perfection and holiness and I can't even begin to stand in your presence. Verse two, 
Liberate me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Drop my chains thoroughly, completely, and purify and cleanse me from my sin. And then he goes into the understanding and the detest that he has for his sin. For I know my transgressions. The depth of my depravity is nauseating. It's pathetic. I detest them. But my sin is ever before me. When I close my eyes, I can't get away from how I can barely even stand. I can't even come before you in your presence. I detest my sin and it's ever before me. Against you, you only, this is verse four, against you, you only have I sinned. I find that very interesting that he goes into against you and you only. Because you see, God requires perfection. He is the one that separates evil from good. He's the ultimate judge. He's the only judge. So that you may be justified in your words. So that your law may be perfect. So that the Ten Commandments, so that the natural law that you've written on your, our hearts is perfect. And you're completely justified and blameless in your judgment, your verdict, your pronouncement of my sin is guilty. Perfectly. He throws it all out there. He puts it on the table. In verse 5 he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive. Behold, Eve ate from the apple in the garden and brought in sin. And at that point, you had to sin. Send a savior or a lamb or a blood offering or something to cover my sins. I was born in this depravity. Verse six is probably my favorite verse here. He says, behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. Behold, what a powerful word. It's a proclamation. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. There's a shift happening right now. He goes in the depravity of his sin. He proclaims it. He acknowledges it. But now all of a sudden he says, behold, but you delight in the truth and the inward being. There's a, um, a movie that just came out called Emmanuel, and it's about the, the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. And there was uh, a young white male that walked into a historic, one of the most historic black churches in the country. Um, this happened, I think, you know, five, seven years ago. And... Um, murdered eight to nine people, I think it was nine people, during a Bible study. And um, a couple of days later, uh, they had caught the, the person that, that was the murderer. And um, he was brought before a judge, and they had the families of the victims there. And the judge wasn't planning to do this, but he asked the families if they'd like to say something. And the families of the victims got up, and they, they had not planned, they had no idea what they were gonna say. And the first lady that got up says, I forgive you. And then one of the, another one got up and said, I forgive you and I hope that you come to know Jesus. And no one knew what to do. All the media was sitting outside. Black Lives Matter was sitting re ready to mobilize. And they said, that was the nail in the coffin. We can't mobilize. What else is there to do? And all of a sudden, this whole town began to change because of what happened. And the word behold, this is what I think of when I hear the word behold. President Obama came to Charleston to give um, for the memorial and, um, and he was given the address. Uh, and it was like he went from president 
to a person, to a pastor. It was just this weird, like I challenge you to go or encourage you to go see if you can find the speech. But there was a moment in the speech where he tells the story of, he's telling the stories of the victims and how they came before it and they asked for forgiveness and then all of a sudden he says, oh, but the Lord works in mysterious ways. There's a quote by Johnny Erickson and she says, sometimes God allows the things he hates to accomplish the things that he loves. Sometimes God allows the things that he hates to accomplish the things that he loves. And that's what happens. Behold, verse six, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart, not out in the open, but in the secret heart. So that was the acknowledgement part. Now we're going into the resolution in verse seven. Purge me with a hyssop. What a strong word, purge. A hyssop is a branch that they used during the Passover when they were in Egypt and they rubbed the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that when God came through and, to, and he was killing the old, eldest sons of the families that he passed over the families that had spread the blood on the top of the doorpost. So a hyssop has so much um, ceremonial meaning. Purge me with the hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Every single crevice in my heart, purge me, clean me out. God, can you imagine David pleading, I can't deal with this anymore, it's beyond me. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. All of a sudden, I have a sense of rest. I feel a sense of rest coming here. Let me hear joy and gladness. I haven't heard it in forever. God, please purge me. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Resurrect the bones of my body. Save me from myself. Verse nine, hide your face from my sins. Be impervious so that when you see me, you don't see my sins. When you see me, you see the blood covering my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In verse 10, this is, this is amazing, and this is the pursuance now. So we went acknowledgement, the resolution. We've been justified completely blotting out the sins, and then the pursuance of God to come in and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a true spirit, a spirit of repentance within me. It can be only you. Cast me not away from your presence because in your presence alone I find peace. Verse 11, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knows that his only hope is in God and in the, in the, in the Spirit that comes. His only hope is for God to pursue him. He has tried to pursue it. He, he did everything that he could and where did it get him? It got him caught in, in treacherous sin. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Because if you restore me, God, you restore, not me, restore me. God, you restore me with the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit, then what happens? Then that joy begins to overflow and that's where works come into play. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to me, but only then. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. Oh God, oh God of my salvation, let not the enemy creep back into my life. Yes, we've sinned, but Lord, allow it not to come back to us because you blotted it out. 
Let your blood mean something. Let the cross mean something. Don't allow it to come back to us once you've forgiven us completely from it. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. You, O Father, can only open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not, verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You can't buy God's love. Your penance doesn't buy love from him. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. True repentance. Emptying yourself out so that you can be filled with his blood and that you allow it to cover you. God only works. What's that quote that I said earlier? He allows the things that he hates to accomplish the things that he loves. He works in our brokenness. In our weakness, he is made strong. Verse 18, this is the worship part of it. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When we are in alignment with Christ, when we are walking in relationship with him, when it's not about accomplishing things to please the world, then will our sacrifices, then will our burnt offerings be pleasing to God. He cares about our hearts, not our actions, our hearts. And he works with us when we have a broken and contrite heart. So as we, we look today, I encourage you to continue to go to this chapter. It's something that whenever I'm feeling guilty or whenever I'm feeling shame, that is the enemy. I go to this psalm and I'm like, if, God, if, if, if David, a man after God's own heart that committed adultery and murder, can come back into relationship with God, then there's hope for me. You know, are, you know. Uh, other than Jesus, David supposedly is one of the greatest men in the Bible. And yet, he's such a blatant sinner. Why is that? Because he was a man after God's own heart. It was true repentance. And you see David's life changed after that occurrence. So I encourage you, to, to take a look at this framework, to take a look at acknowledging your sin, understanding that he has justified you. There is resolution. He has justified you completely this morning. That's why he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. To then begin to pursue, the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God in all things and enjoy him forever. That's what pursuance, that's what sanctification looks like to enjoy God. Do we enjoy God or do we try to enjoy ourselves? I want to end by reading a passage, uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forth forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The sacrifices, the blood offerings in the Old Testament, that was only a foreshadowing of what to is come, to come in the ultimate lamb, Jesus Christ. And he went forward and died on our behalf so that we have, what's the, in Christ alone, we, say, we, we sang that this morning, um, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Christ is the power of God in me, or this is the power of Christ in me. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to just um, thank you for giving us biblical framework to process through our sin, to process and walk with us through life, Lord. Help us to continue to acknowledge our need, our depravity, just as David did in Psalm 51, and realize that we need you, Father, but you have promised us and you have sent your son to die for us so that we could be called into relationship with you through repentance. Lord, remind us of that this morning, that we are justified by faith once, but as we walk in faith, Father God, tie us to you, Father. Allow us to live a life where we are coming to the throne with a contrite heart, Father God. Through humility, teach us and grow us that we might worship you, Father God. Teach us what real worship looks like. Teach us what truly acknowledging you as our Savior looks like this morning. And Lord, I just pray if there's anybody out there right now that doesn't know you, um, that has listened to this sermon this morning and it's taken them on a journey, Lord, I just pray that you embark upon that journey of searching to, for truth with them, Father, that you open this psalm of David up and you allow them to read the words. And Lord, that you take these words and you do a, a work in us, Father God, that you draw us into your love, draw us into your grace this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.